Hi, everyone. Welcome to the November 5th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DeZutti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get to it. The 2021 election results are in, and it was a tough night for ballot issues. All three of the statewide measures failed by double digits. In Denver, four of the bond measures passed, but voters turned down the bonds for a new National Western Arena. Denver voters also voted to secure the green space in Park Hill and to shift hiring of the independent monitor away from the mayor. Pat Cahoon from Westward, it was a big night all throughout the state, but especially in Denver. So let's start there. Uh, or in the, and the statewide ballot issues. Any surprises to you that we saw? Well, I was surprised on 119 statewide, but I'll come back to that. I was going to just leave this chair empty so we could have it talk the way the really, really bad arena ad did. <laughs> if you remember, there was just that green chair talking. I don't think that's the only reason that 2E went down. I think 2E went down because people really were able in Denver to differentiate between what will really improve the city, what we need, what we can't finance any other way, and what was never explained well by the Hancock administration or the National Western Group. They never came forward and really described why we would need this arena, what would it do, what would happen to the Coliseum. And I love that circa 1909 arena, but anyone who lives in that neighborhood knows putting a market in there is not really the solution to a food desert. So everything that came down in Denver, I liked the way they were decided, and we actually predicted that. I did, in my office, have to buy a lot of beer for people because I was so wrong on 119. I thought, given the panoply of politicians who were out there, and it was going to pass in a big way. It's so easy to tax vices that pot seems like such an easy thing to do. But people really looked at where that money would go, and they didn't like it. Panoply of politicians is just fantastic. As a fan of alliteration, that is fantastic. Eric Sonderman, uh, columnist with the Gazette Newspapers and Colorado Politics and a longtime political analyst here. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of things to talk about as results, but then also kind of signs of what maybe people making plans in 2022 would be taking away from this. Uh, the, the slate is open. Your thoughts? Sure. Thanks, Dominic. Uh, I know sometimes at the end of the year we'll do a show and you'll ask for the one word to sum up the year. Well, if I had one word to sum up Tuesday's election, it would be repudiation. And I think at a national level, and I'll only go there briefly, but it was certainly a repudiation of, of Democrats as currently constituted Biden administration, et cetera. I've received several fundraising emails from Colorado Democrats already in the intervening 48-plus hours uh, trying to fundraise. Oh, we're in trouble. And my column this weekend, I'll preview it here, is, you know, could what happened in Virginia? There's been a linkage for the last two decades between the political trajectory of Virginia and that of Colorado. And could it happen here? The odds are against it. The odds are that Colorado Republicans will find a way to screw it up because that's a, usually a pretty safe bet. But, you know, it's at least a question that is now being asked to the local scene building on Patty. The Denver ballot, I mean, you hate to say it, but it needs to be said, it was a repudiation of Michael Hancock, both on the Park Hill vote, how star not just that uh, 301 passed and 302 failed, but by the margins we're talking about. Um, and on the arena, the magnitude of people, those other four bond issues were passing comfortably with 63, 64, 65% support. And yet the number of people who turned around after approving those bonds and said, nope, we're not voting for your arena. Stunning magnitude. Um, on the statewide issues, lastly, quickly, 
it sort of put a little bit of a death knell, or at least a spike, in the theory that had been operating among Republicans locally, which is it's a blue state, we can't elect governors, we can't elect legislators, but by God we can cut taxes on the ballot. And that was the theory for the last few years. Our friend Michael Fields, who sometimes at this table was a leading proponent, and his two measures on the ballot went down to defeat. So at least that theory has temporarily been challenged. And not making her premiere on PBS 12, you've known her for a lot of other things, but making her premiere here on Colorado Inside Out, Bree Davies, a podcast host with CityCast Denver. Bree, it's wonderful to have you here. Now, when we've talked about Denver voters before, there have been other elections when they've been very generous and said yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Or we've had seasons where it was just too confusing, no and everything. This was a very particular picky ballot where Denver, Denverites really picked where they were going to go. Your thoughts on Denver uh, election results? You know, you bring up a great point in that it was like kind of all over the board. It was tough for voters. I'll be honest with you. I think one of the big things for me is understanding the ballot, and that's a big barrier for folks. Um, Access is an issue when you can't understand what you're voting on. And I think 301 and 302 were the greatest example of that. It was like, what? It felt very uh, insider politics, insider development. It it rubbed me the wrong way, frankly, from both sides. Um, I actually voted no on both of them. I think it's going to sit there as a dead golf course for the next 20 years because I know how Denver does things, and that's unfortunate because we need housing. Um, and we also need more open space. But I think what really struck me was, um, like you're saying, that usually the all we just yes on everything or no on everything, and that bond, it was so clear. Denver was not having it. We had things that we needed to get taken care of, and $190 million for a building that isn't actually serving us is not on our list. And I just want to give some credit to the Globeville Area Swansea residents and activists who came together and on a shoestring budget, a couple hundred bucks versus hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in opposition advertising, said, this is exactly what this is going to do to us. Please support us in, in not um, accepting this offer from the city. And um, voters heard that message loud and clear. And so I, I was very proud of us for, for being clear about what we wanted to spend our money on. And also making her debut, Shannon Hoffman, community organizer. It's great to have you here, Shannon. A uh, lot of things in the Denver ballot and the results. Uh, what stood out to you? Uh, definitely the no on 2E stood out. I think, uh, yeah, amazing that, you know, with $3,000, this small group of people could say absolutely not. And I think it was our entire city saying we're not going to pay $190 million up to $300 million, you know, over the course of time to pay for this. Um, 301 and 302 also were big ones for me as well. Um, I'm hopeful that it won't sit there as a golf course anymore. I'm hopeful that... I'm hopeful of that, too. Yeah, I know. I, I really hope that um, that this whole showing is really Denver saying, you know what, like we're going to work together and we have a lot more to push for, which is, you know, community land trust, which is affordable housing and us defining that together and which is d- desperately needed open space. Well, as Natasha Gardner, even I do once in a while, there is room for optimism at the CIO table. It's not common, <laughs> but it, it, there is room for it. So uh, well done. Well, beyond ballot issues, uh, school board elections attracted a great deal of money uh, uh, during the election season, and there were tight races across the metro area. 
Teachers Union-backed candidates prevailed in Denver and in Jefferson County, with conservative slates winning in Douglas County and in districts in Colorado Springs. Meanwhile, in Aurora, a Republican-backed slate of city council candidates won three seats, bringing a 6-4 to four conservative majority to the council. Uh, Eric, a lot to break open here, school boards, but also Aurora proving to us that we've seen for a long time. It is diverse in every possible way you can define that word, and it showed that way politically on election night. Your thoughts outside of the ballot issues? Several. Uh, what you say about Aurora is absolutely true. Years ago, people would, p- prospective candidates would want to talk to me about, I want to run for this or that, and I'd say, always happy to go have breakfast or go have coffee or whatever, and they'd say, okay, we'll meet at Racine's or we'll meet here or there, and I'd say, no, 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 we're not meeting there. I'd say, we'll meet in the food court at Park Meadows, because if you want to see what your electorate looks like, that's what your electorate looks like. About 10 years ago, I changed that. It was no longer the food court at Park Meadows. It was the Costco on Havana in Aurora, because that is what the Colorado now looks like. It is the most diverse place you can imagine. Aurora, again, makes headlines. It was a good night for Mike Kaufman, not unequivocally. He didn't sweep the slate, but uh, he has a working majority on city council now, so it was a good night for Mike Kaufman. On school board races, I think it was a night of exclamation points. If it was a district that was already trending toward the teacher union side, those interests put an exclamation point on it, as in Jeffco, as in Denver, and swept the slate. If it was a district that is more conservative-leaning, i.e. Douglas County, It went the opposite direction. Uh, The polarization of school board meetings is only going to ramp up. We've seen this around the country over the last few months. Uh, I think the war in Douglas County over mask mandates and everything else is only going to get hotter now. And in Denver, you know, what's the old Chinese curse? May you live in interesting times? Well, uh, around the Denver public school system, these are interesting times with that new board, which probably looks to be a 7-0 board against charters, against choice, against reform interests. Interesting times. Bree, I think CityCast Denver, while well, being named CityCast Denver, has done a great job looking at the entire metro area. You had a great interview with Mayor Mike Kaufman uh, several weeks ago. As you look at the results in Aurora and in, in school boards, what, what stands out to you as significant? Well, as you pointed out, um, it's diverse. I mean, a, I, that was kind of shocking to me. So I'd be, I'll be interested to see how that plays out for the actual folks that live in Aurora. Um, but what the school board thing to me was like looking at Douglas County and looking at Denver, you are looking at two different planets when we're looking at how, how school board races are playing out. But what I just heard over and over again, it was this was about the parents. This wasn't about, I hardly heard anyone talking about children, Mm -hmm. and this is for school board. This was about what parents want, parents' politics, and I understand parents obviously are representing their children, but I don't know, I've I've rarely meet a child who has a hard time wearing a mask. They're the easiest about it, I think, so that was, it's just an interesting juxtaposition to me that this is really about parent politics. So, um, I don't know, I guess we'll see, I'm still trying to understand where school board politics play into our larger picture, but it does impact every aspect of the city, whether you have kids or not. So it'll be interesting to see how these different school boards are doing things differently and, and how that impacts our kids. Yeah. Shannon, as, as Bree mentioned, more money got, was brought in for school board races, and it really in Colorado's history with these, throughout the metro area. It wasn't just one hotspot. It was all over the place. Uh, do you see that as a harbinger of things to come in the, in the years ahead? You know, I certainly think 
that looking at where the money comes from in any of these races is really important. Um, I worked for DPS for two years, so I've tried to sort of stay out of looking at the board just because the bureaucracy and drama of that is like a little intense for me. Um, I definitely was paying really close attention to the Aurora races and also where money was coming from for that. Um, And some of the messaging around those campaigns, all of these campaigns, I think the messaging um, was, was really, was really interesting. Um, As I looked at Aurora, um, you know, there were things coming out that were just plain wrong. People said that Crystal Murillo was, like, not attending her council meetings when she just wasn't going to, like, a a, a neighborhood association meeting. So um, I think where the money comes from and then what does what kind of messaging does that money fund is really important to follow. Patty, a lot of things happening outside of the ballot issues outside of Denver. What stood out to you? Well, certainly that Mike Kaufman must be the happiest person, even though it isn't a huge, you know, majority. He was he had to break so many ties there. But Aurora is a very unwieldy but fascinating city right now with all the challenges they have. Most diverse city in Colorado. Some some of the only affordable places for businesses to go. So you have really interesting businesses opening up, restaurants, the ethnic restaurants. It's certainly like Havana is a most colorful and great eating. So Aurora's got a lot of challenges ahead. We'll see if they're able to really deal with it with the board now just not fighting at loggerheads all the time, the council. Uh, With Jefferson County and Douglas County, that study in contrast is incredible. Are people going to just be swapping houses depending on where they want their kids to go to school? Because really the it is such a stark difference, and it's not like it's easy to find a house in Metro Denver now. They're just going to have to have a swap, the conservative versus the liberal house swaps between Douglas and Je- Jeffco. There's going to be some sort of line of demarcation around Santa Fe, south of C-470. Here, you live over here, live over there. Just it's uh, it'll certainly You be might have to, to be in on the swap. Uh, well, I, I, my, the housing <laughs> price, you know, it's, it's, been, it's skyrocketing, but now I, it's a whole new market of uh, potential parents wanting to live in the county. It should be interesting. Governor Jared Polis releases $40 billion state budget proposal this week, the highest in the state's history. Highlights include $400 million toward affordable housing, $200 million toward homelessness response, $381 million toward education, and $424 million toward air quality. Meanwhile, a report by ProPublica showed details of how Governor Polis and other wealthy elected leaders are able to either avoid paying taxes or pay a lower rate than most people. Bree, we start with you on this one. The whole tax issue with Governor Polis is not new, um, although it's brought some kind of interesting bedfellows together in Colorado where you see people on both sides thinking we should be looking at this kind of tax reform. Uh, but as you see these numbers and you saw what, what was uh, the ProPublica report this week, what was most interesting to you? Look, I'm thinking about the, uh, the atmosphere right now around uh, jobs, um, worker strikes across the country. We're looking at unionizing across industries. We're looking at labor shortages in part because folks are saying, I want a livable wage, I want benefits, I want these basic things. And then we look at people leading our state. I mean, this is our governor. Um, I, I, I'm curious to see what the state of the Democratic Party is in the next couple of years, because I, don't, I personally also don't think young people are having this, this Democrat versus Republican, when these kinds of things come out. And like you said, it's, it's not like it wasn't common knowledge. We have a multi-million dollar governor. But um, it's just very, it's getting more and more clear that those lines are blurring. And um, I just, it, it just, it, it just still shocks me a little bit thinking about what the average person is going through in this state and then the person that's leading it. 
what he's doing. There's indeed a huge separation there. It's kind of hard to think about you know, what you do with hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem a lot of people have. Um, Shannon, uh, now we know from the way the legislature set up is that the legislature will make the final call on this. So the, the governor has always put out a proposal and the legislature, so it's not exactly how this will automatically go, but it's certainly setting a pretty big goal. And then you have everything else that comes out of ProPublica. Uh, what do you think, how do you think this is going to impact how the legislature takes on the budget next year? Well, I, I'm, there are two things in there that I'm really intrigued by, um, which is around transportation and also the $200 million for cities um, that are facing a lot of crises around homelessness. And so um, while I certainly think that those large dollar amounts are important, I also think that it's about how will those dollars be used. Um, so... You know, I think as I'm, I, I feel similarly, you know, when I'm, when I'm seeing a leader who is saying, well, I'm, I'm not evading anything with taxes, I'm just not paying a lot in taxes, um, <laughs> then it's like, well, what kind of loopholes might you suggest um, for how our money is used? And that is, that is our money, um, and we want it used wisely. And, um, you know, if you give a couple million dollars to Denver, the city of Denver right now to address homelessness, I frankly don't think that the city of Denver will use it wisely because they're not currently using their dollars wisely to address that issue. Patty, the, the tax issue is not new, but I think this was, I guess, one of the first times that Pulse is part of a national report and it's going to make bigger news. Uh, and it's not like his competition right now doesn't have hundreds of millions of dollars, but Heidi Ganahl is not, is also a millionaire herself. So it, it's going to be interesting how you attack that. Does this issue become a bigger deal next year or does it go by the wayside? It's going to be a big deal because it's an easy one to campaign on. It's We knew that Polis had made a lot of money, and he made a lot of it by selling his parents' company. So it's not like he inherited it. He came, he came up with the way to do it. We've known he's rich. The problem is that he this looks hip, like he's a hypocrite because he demanded tax returns be released by other for other candidates, and then he didn't release his own. So that is going to be the challenge. Heidi Canals already said she will release hers if he releases his. So that will be an issue. As I said, we know he's rich. He hasn't made a lot of missteps. It is interesting in his budget that he's asking for more communications people because somebody should have been on this story a lot earlier with ProPublica. But really, he has done pretty well. He hasn't gotten a lot of criticism before this. The biggest challenge was, you know, he couldn't pronounce the name. He was worried people couldn't pronounce the name of an Indian peak when it was renamed. Uh, Eric, this, uh, a lot of this is all about next year. It's the governor's race. It's the legislature. It's how they're going to handle the budget. Um, what sticks from November of 21 through the season of next year? General images stick and some specific issues stick. Patty's dead right. This is an issue that has legs. People can relate to it. It's easily understandable. It's easily manipulable if you're an opponent. Uh, I think there are two headlines to this story, Dominic. Number one is just to the budget more generally, leaving Polis aside, is, I mean, this is a state that is relatively awash in money right now. The growth of this budget is an 8% growth. Yes, Colorado's growing, but it's not growing at an 8% rate. There's an extra billion dollars in the budget this year. A lot of it is federal stimulus money, which is being spent on stuff that has very little to do with COVID relief. Um, so that's one, uh, one punchline for me. The second is this has been a bad week for Jared Polis, and this ProPublica story was, you know, certainly the capstone of a bad week, and 
Uh, we'll see how he handles it over the long term. I'm not sure his short-term response uh, was ideal. But the Virginia race and New Jersey on top of it, which was even less explicable, uh, certainly was a warning sign for Jared Polis. There's some more recent polling in Colorado. Shows him still above sea level, but the numbers are softening. And obviously with the hospital crisis around COVID and um, COVID being relatively rampant in this state right now, and this is not the Jared Polis we saw early in COVID with who was very aggressively, assertively, proactively tackling this issue. This is a much more timid, cautious Jared Polis that we're seeing right now. Should set up an interesting 2022. Aurora has begun the process of seeking an independent monitor specifically to oversee a, quote, consent decree currently being negotiated between the city of Aurora and the state attorney general's office. The decree arose after the state found multiple cases of excessive force, failure to document stops properly, and the illegal use of ketamine in arrests. Shannon, um, Aurora seems to be making a positive step here. Uh, is it enough? Is it the right response? I'm not sure that it's enough because I would like to see who is at the decision-making table to select this independent monitor. Um, I mean, I have to. We have to really think about this, like. Elijah McClain was murdered because he was injected with ketamine. And that didn't just happen to him. That is happening so much that they need an independent monitor. And it's the work of black women um, like Candace Bailey, like Shanine McClain, that have pushed for this position. But we're even seeing in Denver with the passing of 2G that we still have to chip away at that even when we have an independent monitor that um, now with 2G, the Citizen Oversight Board will have um, you know, part in selecting that. So in order for this to be truly independent, we need to see community members at the table to make that decision of who that person is. Patty, we've seen a lot of problems come out of Aurora. Is this a solution towards solving those problems? It certainly can't hurt. And, you know, when Mike Hoffman ran, he did say he was going to get to the bottom of the Elijah McClain issue. He was not the one who was the mayor when they said it was just fine what had happened, that no one had violated um, any of those standards. So I would hope that they, Aurora has learned lessons, certainly the police chief too. They've been working on it, but that's turning around a battleship, that, that town. Uh, Denver, it's interesting because Nick Mitchell, who left in December, we don't have a new independent monitor yet. I like the move. It was also a repudiation of the Hancock administration that they, the, the voters definitely want the citizen oversight group to be involved there. But also, the city is trying, and I haven't seen any legal thing on this yet, the city is trying to not allow Nick Mitchell to testify in a class action case of protesters against law enforcement after the George Floyd protests. So we'll see, would this change that rule? They're looking at him as a city employee at the time. But you would like the independent monitor to be able to also speak his mind on cases like that. Eric, is this a big step for Aurora, who it seems like we talk about how diverse they are, but now it's time to be a big city. There's big responsibilities. This is a significant step, but let's dispel any notion that it's a completely voluntary step. This is a result of a legal settlement with Phil Weiser and the Attorney General's office. This is not one that Aurora just waved their hand and say, oh, let's go do an independent monitor. This was really a condition imposed on them. And let's just hope, uh, I mean, I, I agree with Shannon, we'll see who appoints the independent monitor and what that process is. But let's hope it moves a little more speedily than the Colorado judiciary moved in a finding a couple firms to uh, start to tackle that long-delayed, long-deferred investigation. Bree, wrap it up for us. Um, I mean, I think 
After the murder of George Floyd, we saw uprisings across the country. I mean, Elijah McClain was murdered a year before anybody even talked about it. So um, there was a lot of talk. Is this going to be meaningful change is really the, the question. That's, that's kind of just the end of it to me is we, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know if, if all of the talk is going to matter. Well, it's time for a very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. The election, some of the, some of the cynical ballot measures, like 302, you cannot ignore just what developers wanted to do with 302. 301 was a really interesting gambit with the, with the lifting the conservancy and saying it should go to a vote of the people. It was surprising that I thought that people went for that, but the fact that 302 was so repudiated was really a good sign that you cannot necessarily buy an election. <laughs> Eric. Somebody with some Colorado ties, John Eastman, who's a conservative legal scholar, and I'll put quote marks around the scholar word, uh, and was a visiting professor a year ago at the University of Colorado, who was the author of many of the memos with this novel legal theory of how Trump really won the election and how Michael Pence could have upturned it on January 6th. And he was sort of the, John Eastman became the legal foundation for a lot of what has unfolded and the nonsense and the, the big lie that has unfolded over the last year. Bree, your disgrace of the week. Mine's more of a bummer of the week. Uh, <laughs> the Denver Diner has been boarded up for many months, and we found out this week that it's turning into a Chase Bank. So <laughs> I don't know who's walked into a bank lately. I have not in many months, if not a year. I, it just blows my mind, but I, it just really bummed me out. Shannon. Uh, my disgrace of the week are now permanent sweep zones that are happening in downtown Denver where the city of Denver can um, regularly displace people and cause trauma to them. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? The county clerks who have put up with so much over the last year and just ran a really good election here, and also, of course, the veterans would, as we celebrate Veterans Day. Here, here. Eric. Here, here to both of Patty's. Uh, giving credit where credit is due, we're often critical around this table. I'm going to say something nice about uh, Ken Buck, congressman from the 4th CD, your new congressman, <laughs> Dominic, in Highlands Ranch after redistricting. Uh, he has departed from a lot of Republican orthodoxy, and credit to him both around regulation and use of antitrust around big tech. Uh, he's at least open to those issues and has become a national leader on some of those issues, unlike many Republicans, and unlike his two Republican colleagues in Colorado, didn't buy into the big lie, voted to certify the election results. Um, thinks Joe Biden is a legitimate president. What a, what a novel thought. <laughs> Bree. Um, I just want to give a shout out to the no on 2E folks. They, uh, they met the city's hot air uh, with facts, and they gave those to the voters to decide, and they really did that groundwork to make something happen in, in a true grassroots way. I think grassroots is a word that gets used a lot to describe things that are not grassroots. The, the No on 2E campaign was truly grassroots, and um, they did something really impactful for Denver. Sheena. I'd like to shout out all the folks that ran and lost. Um, thank you for showing us what might be possible and helping us dream about how we can transform the world. 
And I will add a quick say something nice to our friend Ed Sealever. He was feted this week with his uh, recent honor as Journalist of the Year from the Society of Professional Journalists. Uh, Ed, well, uh, well deserved and hope the, everything went well. And echoing, uh, uh, Patty said, uh, to all of our veterans out there celebrating, commemorating Veterans Day this week, uh, thank you for your service, special veteran in my life, my dad. Thanks for uh, what you've done and the, the model you've shown moving forward. For everybody here at Colorado Inside Out and PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. Mm-hmm.